Hello and welcome to Euractiv's AgriFood podcast. I'm Gerardo Fortuna. And I'm Natasha Fitt. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from Euractiv's AgriFood team. This week, Euractiv's scoop on the JRC study, the Commission's agenda for 2022, and we take a look at water issues in the EU. So this week, Euractiv got somewhat of a scoop, would you say it's fair to say, Gerardo? That's exactly the word, a scoop by <laughs> Natasha Foot. Oh. Yeah. So it's good. Uh, it's actually fair that you have the honor and the and the, the privilege of yeah the privilege of explaining mm. to our listeners what this scoop was about. <laughs> it is a privilege. It's always a privilege to talk to our listeners. Um, so yeah. So this week, um, basically, uh, we well, I got my hands on some documents um, that showed that the European Commission was basically sitting on this controversial JRC study um, on the potential effects of the EU's flagship food policy, so that's the farm-to-fork strategy, um, for about half a year. And instead, the Commission decided to uh, to go for a kind of quiet midsummer publication, so mid-August publication. And of course, our listeners know that, um, that August is not exactly... The, the most buzzy time for Brussels for, for EU policy. You know, everyone's on holiday. So when the commission uh, did release this long-awaited study um, in August, of course, there was a lot of controversy around this and agricultural stakeholders basically accused the commission of deliberately attempting to bury the results of this study. Um, so, you know, this was refuted by the commission. They just said, no, you know, it's this is the moment that it was ready. There's nothing strange going on here. But... But here we go. Uh, A letter that I saw this week actually confirms um, that this JRC study was actually ready and due for publication back in January. So this note that I saw that was uh, sent to the EU Agricultural Commissioner, Janusz Wojciechowski, from the Director General of the Commission's DG Agri, that's Wolfgang Bircher, uh, was dated and signed electronically on the 13th of January and basically informs the Commissioner about the state of play of the JRC study and earmarks this provisional publication date as envisaged end January. So the note also says that this has been, the study has been cleared um, by TG Santi, Klima, MV and Agri, um, and it's sent along with a draft of the study, and it says this is going to be finalized in the, in the next few weeks. And the note also said that this study carries some pretty sensitive information, um, and that it needs to have careful interpretation of the results. So, um, this is interesting. This kind of appears to lend some support maybe to the rumors that the commission's decision to publish the report without a lot of fanfare in the middle of summer. Well, the, the timing was a bit suspicious. Was a bit suspicious, yeah. Was potentially this was a, a political decision. Yeah, because exactly. That seems like a political decision because as you said, um, this letter came from DG Agri. Mm. To the cabinet of uh, Janusz Wojciechowski, so the agriculture commissioner. So it means that, uh, you know, somewhere in between the um, commission service, so the GIAGRI, and the uh, commission decision making uh, center, again, the College of Commissioners uh, went uh, wrong, no, in a certain sense. But why this report uh, is a bit 
controversial. Mm. Uh, first of all, it's not an impact assessment. It's, uh, no. It's pretty, no, because otherwise... <laughs> it's we, true, really stress that so yeah. many times in the report. It's not an impact assessment. It's basically a report to see the potential effects of both the farm to fork and the biodiversity strategy to the agriculture production, also with a very you know, disputed methodology to assess this. And the outcome highlighted, uh, you know, the, the outcome that many stakeholders highlighted was that uh, whatever the scenario depicted by the authors of the report, the achievement of sustainability goals would result in declines in production ranging from 5 to 15% across all sectors, with in particular the, in particular, the livestock sectors uh, most affected. And our listeners will probably re- remember that we recently spoke to uh, Joao Pacheco from the Think Tank Farm Europe. I think it was the, the, the first episode of the new season. Of it the was. Year. It was indeed, yeah. And it was basically highlighting the risk of this contraction in production. It basically said, uh, I remember, he said the commission should consider uh, not only um, the importance of, of how to produce food, but also what to produce and at what price. And and the other point is also that that the conclusion, this conclusion in particular, because it, it, it's a, it's a big study, uh, was quite similar to the one included in a report published in November 2020 by the Economic Research Service of the U.S. Department of, of Agriculture. Uh, which concluded that in an extreme scenario of global adoption of the EU strategy, the farm to fork, food prices would rise worldwide by uh, 89% with a reduction in agriculture output by 4%. And I mean, drawing conclusions from this kind of fictionalist scenarios, uh, case studies and so on, is a bit uh, bold, let's say. (laughs) But it comes as no surprises that uh, um, they have been used by those against the farm to fork strategy, no? And, and, and I personally think that the main political aspect is to check on or, or to be aware of this resistance to the European Green Deal on the, on the agricultural side, because we've seen it is a tough time for the implementation of the Green Deal. We've seen uh, the entire structure starting um, cracking because of this hike in energy prices. There was a clash in the EU Environment Council uh, this week on the FIT 455, another environmental policy of the Commission. So at the first energy price uh, crisis, uh, the Green Deal has been questioned by some member states, no? And we should ask ourselves what could happen in case of uh, you know, a similar crisis in the agriculture sector. What about the current price increase in the animal feed? You know? And what about uh, if this will become unbearable for farmers? Who they blame the farm to fork? I mean, one could say there's no correlation, but there's no correlation between the Green Deal and the rise in energy prices either. You know? So, as you said, this is uh, you know both the decision, but also um, the way the Commission is managing uh, the implementation of the Green Deal is highly political in terms of uh, you know even in terms of risk for stability of Europe. I, I believe I personally believe that a mismanagement of the environmental transition could be way more dangerous for um, nationalism or, 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 or the Eurosceptical far right, for instance. 
And that's because the commission basically made a sort of all-in uh, on the Green Deal. But by the way, Natasha, you know who weren't pleased at all by the commission's behavior or misbehavior? I could guess. <laughs> I could take a good guess. MEPs, of course. Oh. We spoke to Herbert Dorfman, who is the agriculture coordinator of the center-right group EPP, who's also the rapporteur in the parliament on the farm to fork strategy. And uh, let's see, uh, let's hear from him uh, what he told about this um, behavior of the commission. The way the European Commission dealt with the um, study of the Joint Research Center of the Commission itself um, about uh, the implications uh, of the Farm to Fork strategy is not really respectful nor for the um, Council, neither for the Parliament. It is quite obvious that the Commission didn't want to publish this study and they did it in the mid of the summer, hoping that nobody will read it. Likewise, MEP Bertjan Rausen also reserved some pretty harsh criticism of, of the news. It is scandalous that the Commission kept this courage silent for whole of a year until publishing it in the midst of the summer holiday. This study could and should have been available when we decided about the cap in the spring and should have been available before drawing up the Parliament's position on farm to fork. And that's exactly uh, something that was highlighted by Herbert Dorfman as well. Um, let's hear what, what he added. I think the study is well done and it had been a good contribution to my work as a rapporteur on uh, the Farm to Fox strategy to have this uh, study in my hands and to know the result of, of this study. A scientific work uh, should always uh, be taken in consideration in a political debate, also if the result uh, of the scientific work is not exactly what, in this case, the Commission wanted to hear. And Bert-Jan Rausen also promised this would not be the last time that we'll hear about this. The study shows disastrous effects on the farm-to-fork strategy, making Europe more dependent on import. That is important information. As a member of the European Parliament and CAP negotiator, I had asked for an impact study many times. I asked written questions in May this year. All that time, the information was just waiting on the shelf. It's a good thing that we in the European Parliament managed to keep the farm to fork goals largely out of the CAP. But the way the Commission acted is bad for trust bad for our agriculture and bad for the EU. On Monday, we will discuss this in the Parliament Committee for Agriculture. That will be interesting. So some pretty harsh criticism from MEPs there. And, you know, this whole thing really blew up this week uh, with everyone getting involved and actually including the Agricultural Commissioner Janusz Wojciechowski himself, who stepped in on Twitter to try and kind of calm the situation um, and, you know, try to assure everyone there was no hidden agenda. But actually, so the... The explanation given by the commission is that there were a number of shortcomings of the report that were identified 
all the way back in January, and that the commission was trying its best basically to address these shortcomings. Now, at a certain point, um, this is what they say, they realized that it would not be possible to address these issues in a reasonable time frame. And instead, the commission decided to push ahead with the publication without delay. So this is this is the, the narrative put forward. They were trying to resolve some issues. They couldn't. When they realized they couldn't, they decided to publish. And that happened to land in August. Well, I also spoke with a commission spokesperson and they couldn't specify exactly the moment uh, or what point, even roughly in the year, that the commission realized these shortcomings could not be overcome. Um, and I also asked them about, you know, this decision to publish in the middle of summer because, you know, it could have been maybe July or could have been September, you know, back when most agricultural stakeholders are working. Um, the spokesperson said that actually she was not really aware of the controversies surrounding the uh, surrounding the date of publication of the JRC study and just said that the study was published when the commission was ready. So there we go. That's the commission side of events. You, you, you forgot to say that actually Wojciechowski replied to your tweet direct to my tweet direct. speaking of privilege you know? <laughs> so yes. it's uh and also i mean as our listener have might you know uh understood from your voice uh natasha got here the the entire week so it was uh quite <laughs> quite uh remarkable you know the the fact that she had this go- this scoop despite her very weak conditions this week <laughs> It, actually, it was it was incredible that they were actually the week that I was sick and ill <laughs> and down. We had two, not one, but two, two indeed, leaked documents to indeed. deal with, which indeed. segues us nicely into our next section. So the second leak that we've been looking at this week. Um, is actually a leak of the uh, the European Commission's work program for 2022, which uh, Euractiv managed to get their hands on. Um, so we had a little look at this to see what was in store for Agri. And basically what we found was that the Sustainable Use of Pesticides Directive and also a, a carbon removal certification scheme are placed front and centre of the Commission's agricultural priorities next year. Um, so basically, according to the draft document, um, the key focus is on this overhaul of the of this pesticide directive. So if you remember that in the Commission's flagship food policy, the farm to fork strategy, the Commission did uh, did promise to kind of uh, to revise the directive to bring it in line with the objectives of the European Green Deal. And that includes in a way that will meet the target of slashing the use and risk of chemical pesticides in half. So the adoption of the revision was um, was originally earmarked for March of next year, but according to the leaked program, this will now uh, take place in May, um, and there'll also be a roadmap and a launch of a public consultation before November uh, this year. And also, uh, so another really interesting part of this work program is, I already mentioned it once, but on the carbon certification. So the work program lists uh, the proposal of a regulatory framework for the certification of carbon removal as a key priority of 2022. So that's delivering on some promises that was made um, recently in in the published FIT55 package. Um, So this is in an attempt basically to scale up and 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 have a wider dissemination of the removal of carbon from the atmosphere. And this is both through nature-based and technological solutions. So currently, as it stands, there is no targeted policy tool to incentivize this. 
but businesses and private citizens have kind of forged ahead with this anyway. So the commission's trying to catch up with this and, and have some kind of, uh, yeah, some kind of regulatory framework for this, which is earmarked for Q3 of 2022. There was also some interesting parts of the program to do with packaging. Um, so there's going to be a revision of the regulation on classification, labeling and packaging, which is due to be adopted in May next year, according to this leaked um, draft uh, program. And so this is to uh, try, try and reduce the, how hazardous uh, packaging can be. So it's going to look at things like endocrine disruption and bioaccumulation. And it's also going to try to harmonize practices across the EU um, and they according to the draft program this is designed to benefit the single market and also offer an advantage to eu companies who will then be ahead of the game if this is then subsequently adopted globally so this week's focus is on the thing that sustains all life and that is of course water so this is the absolute foundation for our agricultural systems so if we don't have any water no food no life obviously but our fresh water supplies are increasingly under pressure and farmers actually have a lot to do with this. So farms are a significant consumer of fresh water, with agriculture actually accounting for a quarter of all water abstraction in the EU. And of course, the sector also impacts water quality, mainly from pollution from fertilizers and pesticides. While all of this is going on, the block has also seen its third consecutive year of drought, showing that water scarcity is an increasingly frequent and widespread phenomenon in the EU, something we'll have to deal with a lot in the coming years and will hold enormous implications for the agricultural sector. So why are we talking about water this week? Well, there were two uh, interesting recent developments to do with water that we want to discuss today. Hi, Natasha, and to do so, I have enlisted the help of your active France's Magdalena Pistoria. Exactly. So Magdalena, welcome to the podcast. Hello, the second time you're here. So lovely to have, <laughs> lovely to have you. So before we get stuck in, I mean, you know, you're living in France. Um, so are you, I just want, want to know, are you team eau pétillante or eau plate? That's the question here. Oh, okay. Well, I'm definitely au plat. <laughs> oh, you're au plat. I did not see that coming. I thought you were yeah. going to be pétillante. Well, um, I grew up with pétillante in Germany, but since I am living in France, I, uh, I changed habits. Interesting. Very yeah. interesting. Okay, I was about to be like, I'm a recent convert to pétillante, and I thought you were going to be on my team. But, okay. Sorry. I no. can go with plat. It's fine. <laughs> well, we, drink, we drink it for a summer uh -huh. specialties, yeah. Like I see. Cocktails. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> okay, well, you know, now we've got the, uh, you know, the important question out of the way. Oof, um, <laughs> <laughs> so the thing I actually wanted to talk about today is um, this recent report that came out from the European Court of Auditors um, on the sustainable use of water in agriculture. Um, so this report was was pretty damning, actually. It really it placed the blame of uh, the unsustainable use of water in the agricultural sector squarely on weak and poorly enforced policies, which basically the auditors say that these policies give farmers a free pass to abuse this natural resource. So in particular, the auditors pointed the finger at the CAP. So that's the Common Agricultural Policy, the EU's farming subsidy programme. Basically, they called the policy in the area of agriculture a leaky bucket, which is a nice, I liked that image as a, an appropriate metaphor. And according to the auditors, um, not only is agricultural policy not aligned with water objectives, but actually in some cases the cap is actually exacerbating the problems. So this is because, for example, the cap actually offers support for um, the production of water-intensive crops, things like 
rice and nuts and, and fruit and vegetables, but without any geographical restrictions. So that means that farmers can actually get paid um, for growing these, these really water intensive crops in water stressed and, and drought prone areas. You know, and they they pointed to this and said, "This is absolute madness." You know, and they were they were really critical of the common agricultural policy here. Um, so that was an interesting development. But there was also some really interesting water related news from France recently. So Magdalena, maybe you could tell us a little bit more um, about what's going on in France. Yes. So in France, there is this region in the west of France, um, uh, Marais-Poitevin. Mm-hmm. which is a huge wetland zone. And um, in this wetland zone, there has been some some issues going on for the last years with some farmers on the one hand that want to build huge water basins to stock water during the summer for um, drought seasons, exactly. And so we have um, other farmers um, who are totally opposed to this because they say that uh, a bunch of farmers are actually monopolizing water whereas the huge majority of farmers don't get a drop of this water. Mm. And in the same time, these huge water basins um, actually destroy um, farming land, biodiversity, and also um, exhaust the water resource of the region. So we have these two sides opposing each other. And so the recent um, event was that um, a couple of farmers and citizens actually occupied a construction site for the first such mega basin um, where construction started in in September. Mm. So when you say some farmers get some and and there's not enough for others, I, I'm assuming you mean kind of more the more industrial, the bigger farms are kind of getting exactly. a bigger slice of the pie, yes, right? And so the smaller pie. the smaller farmers, mm, okay. And and so this is the first mega basin. How, how many do you know? You know what are the plans in France for these? You said this is the first one that they're protesting. Um, are there more in, in the works? Yes, definitely. So um, I'm not sure. I think there were 16 or even 18 mega basins that were to be built in the region and um, different projects in different regions in France that are at, um, at different levels right now. And so this first one of these series of basins that was about to be built. And um, so farmers and even some sheep, if I heard correctly, intervened to stop the works for a day. Some sheep protested. Yes. <laughs> That's great. Whenever they protest, whenever farmers protest in Brussels, they always bring tractors. But um, maybe we should, you know, start thinking about bringing sheep. That would be I think, I think they brought both, actually. <laughs> yeah, interesting. <laughs> I'd like to see that in the, in the streets <laughs> of Brussels. Um, and so what's the, the reaction been um, to these protests? You know, was it, uh, how, how did people respond to this? So um, on the one side, we have the agricultural ministry, which, of course, was very offended by this demonstration and which is actually supporting the industrial farmers with these mega basin projects, saying that it's important for them to stock enough water to to nourish people, because as they are huge, well, they also produce huge amounts of food. And um, so, yeah, the, the, the argument of the ministry is that by supporting these mega basins, you support massive agriculture and thus... Um, well, food for all. And mm-hmm. then on the other hand, we have reactions like from um, from the Greens in the European Parliament, uh, namely uh, Benoît Bitou, who's a very vocal French um, deputy on this topic. He's and a farmer himself, right? Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And who, on the contrary, supports this kind of action. I think he was actually in place himself mm-hmm. and, and calls for a different approach, a different distribution of water that takes into account all actors and not just uh, a handful of farmers who represent, I think, between 4 and 10% of the overall um, farmer, farming land of the region. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see how this develops in the future. 
Definitely. I think there's going to be more demonstrations. So obviously the, the one that we saw in mid, uh, September only lasted the day, but um, the different trade unions that are in support of this action announced that they're not going to stop fighting this kind of development and that they will continue demonstrating and organizing protest actions in the coming months. Mm-hmm. So watch their space and watch your act of France. <laughs> exactly. This week, the AgriFood podcast is produced by Euractiz AgriFood team, Gerardo Fortuna and Natasha Foot, with the technical support of Evi Chiori. This podcast is also available on all major streaming platforms, including Apple, Amazon, Stitcher and Spotify. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss the latest news from the EU. I'm Natasha Foot. Thanks so much for listening and see you next week.